0: Welcome to About Progress. I'm Monica Packer, a regular mom and recovering perfectionist who uncovered the truest model to dramatic but lasting personal growth. It's progress made practical. Join us to leave the extremes behind and instead learn how to do something to grow in ways that stick. The number one shift that women need to make about habits is to see them as supportive, supportive of themselves and what they need and want in order to show up to their lives. If this resonates with you, then you'll love my course on habit formation outside of perfectionism. Check it out at aboutprogress.com slash sticky habit method. The first few years of podcasting with About Progress, I found myself ending each episode The same way. And it was totally unintentional, but it just came so naturally. It just seemed to fit each episode and the conversations we were having. And that closing line was this Take care of yourself. Now, this technically is a self help show, a show where you learn how to take care of yourself, a a podcast on self development, of course, but inherently that's what it's about. And I firmly believe that this is true. There is power in each of us, power to change our lives. My biggest goal here, and it's huge, is to change the world by changing women. And it starts with how we show up for ourselves. But here is where I'd insert tires screeching like that sound, if I could spend an hour figuring that sound out. (laughs) But everything I teach with About Progress, while designed to help you help yourself, There is another powerful truth I want you to also embrace alongside your power to change. We can't change alone. Self-care has become a big focus in my work with About Progress. A lot of our community is experiencing lives on the sidelines and they're so depleted and feeling cared for, starting with how they care for themselves. In other words, these women are experiencing burnout. And that level of overwhelm and exhaustion has only increased since 2020 for obvious reasons. Earlier this year, I read a book in search to better help these increasing numbers in our community. It's called Burnout, The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle. And it's co-authored by twin sisters, I think you should know, Amelia and Emily Nagoski. Their book was really validating of the experiences that I see women having in this community. But there was a lot in this book that really surprised me. And one of those things was that lesson, we can't do it alone. Today, I am thrilled to have Amelia Nagoski on the show to teach you things that will likely surprise you as well, from what burnout really is, what it's stemming from, to how to actually unlock this perpetual stress cycle that leads to burnout. Burnout. Amelia Nagoski is a doctor of musical arts, a professional conductor and writer. She lives in New England with her husband, one cat and two rescue dogs. It's my pleasure to be a conduit to share her expertise with you today. Amelia Nagoski, welcome to About Progress. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I've already been enjoying talking to you so much that I am really eager to dig into the meat of this conversation, which is all about burnout. And you and I were already talking about this a little bit because there's a little bit of some misunderstanding about what burnout even is. And we're going to spend most of our time talking about the women who like to just blame themselves instead of recognizing it as burnout. But I'd like to start this with you just defining burnout and letting us know what are some of the signs women should be looking for and both themselves and others for burnout.
1: Yeah, that's a great place to start. Burnout was first defined by a research psychologist named Herbert Freudenberger in the 1970s. He was commissioned to study air traffic controllers, which at the time was a very big deal that they were burning out because it was, you know, a public safety issue, and he identified three characteristics of burnout, which were Decreased sense of accomplishment, detachment, like feeling emotionally detached, and also emotional exhaustion. It turns out in the past, like forty years since that research was done, that emotional exhaustion is the primary characteristic for women, whereas men tend to experience more of the uh, decreased sense of accomplishment. An important thing to note is that it is not a clinical diagnosis of any kind. It's not a mental illness, and is not, like, it's not a health condition. It is not. You know, you don't have to meet any kind of clinical definition. If you're like, I feel burned out, you're definitely burned out. The definition Emily and I use in the book, because these definitions are so kind of vague and Mm. they're meaningful only in their contexts, and that's the only context for which those meanings were developed we define burnout as the feeling of being overwhelmed and exhausted by everything you have to do and mm. yet somehow still worried that you're not doing enough. And this can be caused in the workplace by parenting, both of which have been heavily studied. Burnout in the workplace mm-hmm. and parental burnout have been studied a lot. Anytime yes. that there's a, an unrelenting, unforgiving difference between what is being expected of you, what's being demanded of you and what you are capable of being or doing, that is a situation that causes burnout.
0: I love the definition you two came up with because I can see it in myself more easily than feeling I have to meet these big or even clinically worded guidelines. It helps me see, okay, yeah, I can acknowledge the way I'm feeling is not me just making this up. And it's also not my fault, which I think most women tend to do. And I'd like to spend some time on that. You know, we, we tend to just blame ourselves instead of saying, I, this is burnout. Instead we say I'm weak. I'm lazy. I must not have good energy. I'm not motivated. I don't have good discipline. We go down that rabbit hole. Can you share a little bit more about what is actually happening behind burnout? So women can stop blaming and actually learn how to do something about it instead.
1: Yeah. That experience of blaming yourself doesn't happen because you're dumb or lack self-compassion. You're blaming yourself because the world has told you that it's your fault. And how can you not believe them when they say it so many times over and over again, it gets in your head and you're like, oh, this must be true. It must be my fault. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. I have to put myself first and make time for me and that is that is the instructions you've been given so of course you believe that's true um but i'm here to tell you that 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 is wrong and that's that's gaslighting is what they're doing to you and the reason they're doing that is because it's it's good for the economy basically <laughs> you know like it's good for capitalism it's good yeah. for white supremacy it's good for patriarchy mm-hmm. it's good for ableism when people are made to feel that they're Well-being is their own individual responsibility, but all of human history and piles and piles of science that we cite in the book all say, all agree that it's not an individual who can make themselves well. There's another psychologist and philosopher named Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, who's written a couple of books, and he says that humans are 90% chimp, 10% bee. We're a hive species. We're meant to thrive in communities. We're not built. To do big things, accomplish great things alone. We're meant to do them together. And the only way we maintain well being is by having a community that supports everyone's well being by turning toward each other with kindness and compassion and a sense of moral obligation to care for everyone else. Because when you're surrounded by people who all feel that obligation to care for everyone else, no one slips through the cracks, no one gets burnt out because there's always someone there to say, You've done too much. You had too hard a day. You need to take time. I will take up the slack from here. You go rest. And we don't have a community like that right now. We have a community that says, you're tired. It's because you're wimpy. You're tired. It's because, you know, you just don't care enough. What you need is more grit. What you need is more persistence. And it's it's just not true. When you think you need persistence, what you actually need is kindness. And when you think you just need more grit, like what
0: you actually need is help. And that's when I'm like, my jaw hits the floor because it's so simple, but it's so mind-boggling too. It's like almost earth shattering. Yeah, I know. You know, Emily and I,
1: when we read this science,
0: we thought we were going to write a self-help book, right? And then we
1: started reading more and more science and the science got deeper and deeper and more and more complicated. I have a doctorate of musical arts and I'm capable of doing research, right? I can understand the scientific what to call it and, you know, all the approaches and I can analyze a study. And my sister has a PhD in public health. She's more canny to the lingo and the jargon of of health and wellness verbiage. And we were even getting to the point where the science was almost too complicated for her. It was like at the the point of her capacity for understanding, like we're both very smart and highly educated, but even this science, it was like, you know affective neuroscience and reading wow. it was really complicated but you know what you know what all that science said in the biology and the neurology and the sociology and the psychology and behavioral psychology and neurological all of it said the answer is love all of it said it's wow. the answer is love the answer is community and we were like oh that's not what we thought we were going to write about but but that's that's what all of it says like it turns out the answer that we've known all along that loving each other and caring for each other the stuff that like jesus said you know basically like it turns out that that's true turns out that's turns out that's the answer (laughs) science says so
0: I love yeah. that connection. So I was thinking about this interview I did a couple months ago with a woman named Mia Henstad. She's amazing, but she went through really awful, like things physically. And it was all related to her also processing trauma. She didn't know, but she can there's a point to this. She kept going back to the hospital and she kept getting all these big tests and all the tests kept coming back saying the same thing. And it was, you need to rest. And the thing for her is she was a young mother of two kids and the caregiver of her special needs brother. And she said, I'm going to get more rest in the hospital than I am at home. And she didn't have the access for that community love for that support to enable that rest. I think a lot of women are in that same position, whether or not they have children or they're in the caregiving role. Yeah. Is that what you've experienced and uh, not that, just that is yourself, but you know, the one literally
1: identically my experience. I was in the third year of my doctoral program commuting 65 miles each way to the campus. I was a stepmother of three teenagers and working three part-time jobs. Oh
0: my gosh. And I ended up
1: in the hospital and they said, it's just stress and I need to go home and relax. And I was like, let me repeat to you my list of all the things that I am doing, you know, my doctoral program in conducting. I was immersed in this world, was being asked to conform to this socially constructed ideal. I was being denied access to things because I was not male, because I was not conforming to the ideals of what, you know, white classical music is. I was programming more diverse repertoire and I got a lot of resistance, a lot of resistance.
0: Mm, And a lot of
1: stress with that, I'm sure. (laughs) A lot of stress. And it turns out the burnout comes from the world demanding of me something that I am not, something that I cannot do. And this also happens not just to people who exist in a white supremacist, set normative exploitatively
0: capitalistic patriarchy. I've started singing it. It's bad for everyone. We could talk for hours about the systemic ways that we can better create the support within a community. And that's going to take a long time. It's necessary. We need to do the work, but it's going to take a super long time let's speak to the women who need help now right. and they can't go hang out in the hospital. You know, they're told to go home and rest. That's a pretty extreme example, but there's also women who, you know, maybe they're you know, not having Emily that. and I also fantasy. thought that
1: it was an extreme example for women to be hospitalized for stress induced illness. Yeah. We have, we've lost track of the number of women who've told us they've been hospitalized. And the doctors tell them there's nothing wrong with you physically. There's nothing wrong with you. You Mm -hmm. just need to, you just need to relax. It's just stress. It's, it's actually astonishingly common.
0: Well, I'm glad you would say that to me just because that that's what we do. Right. We again, go to the extremes and saying, I'm not meeting those extremes. So I guess I don't need help. Let's just say across the spectrum of burnout, needing help can't really get it within the structure of their community. So well, although hopefully they can more so within the walls of their own home or within their relationships closest to them. How about we talk about what they can do to, to begin to combat this burnout right here, right now.
1: Yeah. The thing to understand first, the very first thing, if you're feeling like you're overwhelmed and exhausted, still worried about what you have to do, is that's taking a toll on your body because the stress response developed in the environment of evolutionary adaptiveness. So if we're going through our day as a proto-human and here comes a big scary animal, our bodies flood with neurotransmitters like Cortisol and adrenaline and glucocorticoids, and they change every system in our body, right? You can mm-hmm. know in that moment of big scary animal, like you can feel your heart race, you can feel your breathing get deeper. That's your respiratory system and your circulatory system both responding immediately to the stress response. But those aren't the only things. A lot of other stuff happens that we're not consciously aware of, like our immune system gets out of the way because who cares about malaria when, you know, big, scary animal. The reproductive system gets out of the way, shuts down, stops working Mm -hmm. at maximum efficiency when who cares about babies because big, scary. Another more obvious thing that people might notice is There's a very specific hormone whose name I can't remember, but there is a hormone that contributes to your skin's reaction. Like you might feel the the follicles of your hair stand up on the back of your arm or on the back of your neck, right? Mm -hmm. That is doing stuff to your sweat glands and your oil glands and your hair follicles. And hey, does anybody ever get breakouts when they're stressed? Mm -hmm. This is why. It's a very immediate manifestation of the stress response having happened in your body. Now, Back in the environment of evolutionary adaptiveness, this was an appropriate response that was very useful because it was preparing you to save all of your energy for just fight or flight or freeze or fawn. It's more complicated than this, but like, (laughs) right, let's keep it simple, like just for illustrative purposes. So your body's preparing you for fight or flight. And in the environment of evolutionary adaptiveness, big scary animal, and you run, right? You leap, you jump, you climb, you hide. and you know, after you're, you're out of breath and you're exhausted and you look out and oh, big scary animal has turned and is walking away and you are safe. And you have burned up all mm-hmm. of those neurotransmitters. You have used them for the purpose of eliminating the thing that was putting you at risk. That was a danger to you. You have used fight or flight. And these days Fight or flight are not how we solve our problems. The things that cause our stress, our stressors, are not big, scary animals. So in order to deal with the stress in your body, you have to deal with it in a separate process from dealing with the thing that causes your stress, which is really good news because you don't have to wait for the thing that causes your stress to go away before you actually start to feel better. So for me, I thought in year three of my doctorate, I'll just plow through. I'll just soldier Mm. on through my doctorate. When I graduate, I'll be fine. Nope. (laughs) It turns out even if I had finished um, my doctorate, that wouldn't deal with the stress in my body. That would just deal with the thing that caused my stress. And then I'd just be a broken mess not having dealt with the stress in my body. But because I learned this in year three, I was able to start applying this information and I could start to feel better so that my doctorate did not end up being a thing that literally killed me. Yes, It, it only wounded
0: me. <laughs> only uh, only a flesh wound.
1: Yeah. So, yeah well, it's only flesh wound. So, so Emily,
0: you're saying it's complete the stress response. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Go or all cycle the
1: way through the stress response cycle. Or, yeah. Okay. So the stress response is a cycle that happens in your body. All emotions are cycles that happen in your body. They're a result of neurotransmitters being released and then like doing their job and burning up and going away. And when you have incomplete stress responses, like all of us do, because we're not fighting or fighting our way out of every stressful situation, that those neurotransmitters, electrical signals don't go anywhere. You don't use them up. So they're just like floating around and they get stuck in your body Mm -hmm. and And get burnt out and you get burnt out. It all adds up. Like the, the breakouts are kind of a very short term, literal observable thing you can see, but I mean, here's a slightly longer term, literal observable thing, which is that when your circulatory system is typical, average, normal, you're. Blood vessels are intended to handle and designed to handle a gently flowing stream right? of your blood pulsing through your uh, veins and arteries and stuff. And when you have a stress response, your heart rate increases, your blood pressure increases in order to get maximum oxygen to all your muscles so you can run. And that means that your blood vessels are being treated to a fire hose temporarily. When the stress cycle ends and you burn it all out and it runs out of extra energy, then you go back to your normal life and the blood vessels heal. The blood vessels have a chance to recover from that fire hose. But if you're having stress all the time, and especially if it's like a chronic existential kind of threat that you can't Mm -hmm. do anything about, that's the kind of stress that's going to leave your heart rate elevated, your blood pressure elevated. And what's happening to your blood vessels, they're always in a state of handling a fire hose and they were not designed for that. So what happens is they never get a chance to heal. So you get little wounds in the blood vessels and that's places where plaques develop and that's how stress leads to heart attacks.
0: Wow. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, in the 80s and 90s, we were told differently. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We were told differently. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of research that shows, a lot of research that makes it completely clear that heart attacks are not caused by cheeseburgers and Coca-Cola, right? That, that like obesity not caused by cheeseburgers and Coca-Cola. It's your body's reaction to a chronic inflammatory state. It's more about your childhood trauma and mm-hmm. the way you've handled stress through your life is what's wow. going to lead to the shape and function of your body in adulthood. And then through adulthood, you know, the foundation that you've built of what you're going to do next and how your body can handle what comes after. Mm-hmm. Does that make some sense? Oh, you it absolutely okay.
0: makes sense. And it, it's also, you know, like we said, it's so simple, just like we were talking about burnout, but it's also so earth shattering, even just that fact alone. And so when we're going back to completing the stress cycle, what are some go-to ways that you would suggest women do that? The most
1: efficient way to complete the stress response cycle is physical activity. Because when you're being chased by big, scary animal, you run. It is more complicated than exercise is good for you or exercise minimizes stress. Because like, I bet everybody listening already knew. Yeah, we know know that. Right. I know. that. Of course, I know that. Why are we not doing it? There are a lot of really valid reasons. First of all, my identical twin sister who was raised in the same house as me is a natural exerciser. Like probably about half people listening are going, Oh yeah, man. When I go for a bike ride, I like just, I get to the top of the hill and I can feel myself overlooking the valley and the cows and the (laughs) sky. And I'm just one with all of it. And I, and I get home and I just feel like my whole burden has eased. Like there are people (laughs) who actually feel that way. I am not one of those people. Yeah. But my identical twin is. There's no (laughs) predicting who is going to be a natural exerciser and for whom this will work. For me, this never worked. I've always been a behavioral exerciser. You tell me it's good for me, I'll go do it. Okay. But it just never helped me the way that it ever helped Emily. So it's more complicated than that, just based on people's identity and who they are and how they're born. But it's also complicated because access to physical activity is limited by environmental factors if you're a woman and you go for a walk that's going to help you you know complete your stress response cycle but then if you get cat called now your source of stress minimizing and relief has become a source of more stress right so it's it's just far more complicated than exercise is good for you or exercise minimizes stress
0: down but to we- just the time it takes and like the clothes you need to put on and yeah. location wise, oh, all just that the fact that you
1: feel pressure to wear the right clothes yeah. and to look appropriate at the gym. Like just that is a, is a barrier. And that barrier is artificially constructed by the patriarch, by the white supremacist, <laughs> exploitatively capitalistic patriarchy, but it is, it is a real barrier that stops people from accessing exercise. Okay. But so that is the most efficient overall at a population level but not individually necessarily for you. But the good news is there are so many other ways to complete Well, even once you
0: your body, it doesn't have to be going for a run. It could be just literally like flapping your arms, right? Like it can yep. be something like that. It could that. be laying in bed,
1: clenching yeah. every muscle from your head down to your shoulders and your torso and your thighs and your shins and your toes. And you're clenching everything really tight. And you imagine like squeezing and crunching to death all of the. Bad things in the world, and you wanna let go because you're kind of exhausted, but then you're like, no, I'm gonna hold on one more breath, and then you let go and uh oh. laying yeah. in your bed.
0: After the break, you'll hear a few more ways to complete the stress response cycle. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. My husband, Brad, and I often debate quality or quantity. Now, this is largely about food. I'm the type to spend some time looking at online reviews to ensure high quality. And while quality is important to Brad, quantity and affordability matter even more to him. Online reviews are such a great tool to align our preferences with where we spend our time and money. Why not do the same when you're booking a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, a free and easy app, you can see real verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. And when we say right, we mean that they match with what matters to you. Not only will ZocDoc show you those reviews, but they'll also help match you with a doctor that takes your insurance and matches your availability. If you're ready to find a doctor that's right for you, go to ZocDoc.com slash progress, and download the ZocDoc app for free, then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash progress. ZocDoc dot com slash progress. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the... Must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
1: The next one is sleep. We all it- know that sleep's good for us, right? We all know... Well, we were, a lot of us were taught you need eight hours of sleep. The truth is that a real normal window is seven to nine hours. Most people need seven to nine hours of sleep. If you are sleeping nine hours and you wake up and you feel good, that means that that's how much sleep you need. If you thought, look, I'm just going to say this the way it's true. I thought I needed eight hours of sleep. Turns out I'm a nine hour sleeper. And when I was getting eight hours of sleep, I would set an alarm and wake up after eight hours. And I, still felt terrible. It was not enough sleep for me. I thought I was broken or sick or lazy. Mm. Nope. Most of the time when people feel, I'm so tired. How do I fix how tired I feel? Almost always the answer is you need more sleep. (laughs) If, if anyone is going to change anything about their life, if they want to feel better day to day, let that one thing that you change be getting more sleep. It is fundamental to our existence, but more specifically, it is important for completing the stress response cycle because one of the things that happens while we sleep is during REM sleep, we dream and all of the activity in our brain is for learning and processing stuff we experienced in the past, that day, that week, in our whole lifetimes. Like If you've ever had a dream about your eighth grade bully out of nowhere, then you know that your brain can process stuff from the past out of the blue for seemingly no reason, but that is a way that your brain can complete old unfinished stress response cycles from, you know, all of your life that you have just left there spinning and it can move you all the way through sleep. It completes a stress response cycle, but it also is stigmatized, right? We feel like, well, if if I'm getting sleep, I'm, I'm only helping myself. It's only good for me. I could be spending that time, you know, making sure I meet my deadline at work or, or baking those cupcakes for my kid's birthday party, or I, I should be. And indeed, the world literally physically tells us that women are supposed to sacrifice their sleep for other people's well-being. We know that we need sleep, but we also know what society has told us that it's selfish and lazy and slothful to sleep. And someone um, has to
0: get that stuff done. Like someone's got to do it and we make it be ourselves, not just yeah. make it, you know, we're, we're told yeah. to make it now, now you in the book, this ties into this, you, you reference a book, not a, no, not a book. Sorry. A phrase human giver, human giver syndrome. syndrome. Yep. Yeah.
1: This is the thing that drives that feeling that we have a moral obligation to sacrifice ourselves and everything that we are for others. So this comes from a book by a moral philosopher named Kate Mann. And in the book, it's, the book is called Down Girl, The Logic of Misogyny. She posits a world where there are two kinds of people. There's human beings who have a moral obligation to be their humanity, to live it, express it, and acquire whatever resources are necessary in order to do that, to be their humanity. And on the other side, there are human givers who have a moral obligation to give their humanity humanity to the human beings, to give their time, their lives, their bodies, their very selves to the human beings. And being a human giver would not be dangerous on its own. If you were surrounded by other human givers, people who care about your well-being as much as you care about theirs, those people would always be there to see you have done too much today. Go have a rest. We will take up the slack because that's how community thrives. But if you are in relationships, either at work or at home or wherever, where someone feels entitled to your time, your life, your body, especially if they feel that there should be no boundaries between you and them and the limits that you put on what you give them, that is a human-giver relationship that is built, designed perfectly to cause burnout. Because when being a human giver becomes toxic or dangerous is when we believe that this is just a normal and true thing, that we have a moral obligation to be at all times pretty and happy and calm and generous and attentive to the needs of others. And that if we ever fail in that moral obligation to be at all times pretty, happy, calm, generous, and attentive to the needs of others, then we are failures as people Mm. and that we deserve to be punished. And that's just, just normal and true in the way the world is. And guess what benefits when women believe that they deserve to be punished if they ever fail to be pretty happy, calm, generous, attentive needs of others? That's right. The beneficiary is the white supremacist, normative, exploitatively capitalistic (laughs) patriarchy. It's also ableist. You start with completing this response cycle in your own body. Because if you are overwhelmed by the pain, overwhelmed by fatigue, the first thing you need to do is get your body in a place where it is no longer just suffering. So if you can find a way to complete the stress response cycle, either physical activity or sleep. And another one is connection with other people. That Mm -hmm. includes simple, easy interactions. Like, you know, you go into the coffee shop and you say, hi, I would like a vanilla chai latte. And oh, I really like your earring. And the barista says back to you, here's your vanilla chai latte. Thank you very much. Just that light interaction, there's research that shows that little interactions like that help remind your body that, oh yeah, the world is a safe place. I don't have to be on guard every minute and it can reduce your experience of stress for the rest of the day. If you want to go bigger or deeper, there's the 20 second hug, which is not about 20 seconds exactly, but if you imagine hugging for 20 seconds, that would be super awkward to do with someone you don't really love and trust. But if you have someone who you love and trust enough to hug for 20 seconds. How you do it is you both support your own center of gravity and you put your arms around each other and you wait there physically connected and close and your body senses the other person's body and remembers, oh, I'm part of a community. I'm part of humanity. I am safe here. I am I'm a member of the herd and I'm in the middle and I belong and I am safe. And if you want to go even bigger, there's the six second kiss. This is the research of John and Julie Gottman, who are clear that it's not about the six seconds. Like you don't just count to six. It's about making it a, a special moment, long enough to feel special, but not long enough to make the kids late for school, is how they describe it. <laughs> and six seconds is way too long to kiss somebody you just met, but it's a very nice kiss with somebody you love and trust enough to feel like, oh, this is normal and comfortable. It's not about the six seconds, it's about being. That close, that intimate physically, that your body will shift into another state and you'll feel it go, oh, I'm home. I'm safe. There's this person here. And our energy this sounds, this is starting to sound kind of hippie, but there's actually, this is where the like interpersonal neurobiology comes into play, where there is physically energy between two people that is shared so that we become part of the people who are around us. And our individuality Mm. is proven to be kind of not real. (laughs) Wow. I mean, you, you come from the band geek world, so you know what happens when you play together, there's this sense of being part of a hive of being sort of like a little piece of a larger single organism. That is literally true. That's, that's part of physiologically what happens to us and how our bodies experience large group efforts. And this is okay. So ways to complete the stress response cycle, ways to feel better right now. That's what we're talking about. And this is the magic trick. This is the number one thing is stuff like playing in a band, singing in a choir. And the magic trick is combining connection with movement with A third thing, which is a purpose. So if you Mm. are moving in time with others toward a shared goal, that's the magic trick. That's the time when humans access the quickest, easiest, shortest shortcut to like the, the highest, most elevated experience of what humanity feels like experiences like going to burning man there was just research released recently that stuff like those kind of like large festival rituals give us that experience there's also been research about worship about dancing about singing together marching going on a protest the combination is moving in time together with other people toward a shared
0: goal so, so sounds like I need to join marching band again, like, I go there's back a reason, years, but
1: there's yeah. a reason that kids in marching band feel like the band is their family, why they feel bonded in that way. Military training, sports teams playing together, or even just attending a game with a big crowd of other intensely passionate fans where you're cheering along with your team. You are part of one large organism, right? All those things. So physical activity is a thing. Sleep is a thing connection with other people and if we start to combine the things together into moving in time with others toward a shared goal it's this shortcut to the to the best feeling humanity has to offer (laughs)
0: last piece of the puzzle the connection piece it's really helping things come full circle with why especially after i mean for some people it was just a couple months of isolation for other people it was a couple years
1: mm-hmm.
0: why we are especially in that place of burnout right now because we have we lost that and even yeah. if we were able to have it back sooner than others there's still a recovering of that there's getting used to it again there's trying to carve out time and make space for it. And I mean, I I really could talk to you for so long about what women can actually do. But to me, if we're going to keep it simple, like to make this stuff possible, you need to pay attention to what's going on with your body. So, you know, when you are burnout or stress and you need to get good at letting things go carving out space for yourself, which again, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. I
1: think when it comes to carving out space, it's impossible for an individual to do that because you're constantly mm-hmm. being bombarded by messages that you should be doing for others, giving to others. That you have a moral obligation to be pretty and calm and generous, and that if you fail that obligation, you deserve to be punished. Right? That's why you need. What well, we call it in the book the bubble of love. It's yeah. the people who care about your well-being as much as you care about theirs, mm-hmm. and they protect you from those outside messages. You all protect each other by reminding each other. Those outside messages aren't true. That thing you've started to internalize, it's not true. You can let it go. You can, you deserve to take time for yourself. You can and you deserve to have care and resources and sleep and exercise and and to go do fun things and to go to a march or to have dancing or to attend, you know, a worship service with the people who really matter to you. And that connection can also be with like, you know, internal things, but like, you know, 90% chimp, 10% B, we're meant to connect to each other. That's how you overcome the stressors that are external is by having your bubble to protect you from those forces. And there's just no other way to resist those forces. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. The cure for burnout is not
0: self-care. The cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other. And for women who feel like they don't have that within the walls of their own home, I think that can be really despairing to hear, but it also is, it is the science back truth. And there are ways for you to build that bubble of of love, of care outside of the people right there. If they're not ready, if they, if they can't, um, there is people to do, which Emily and I were surprised
1: because we thought that like, when we started talking to the, about the book to people, we started getting the question, what if I don't have people in my bubble? What if I don't have anybody like that to remind me that I deserve love and care just as I am? And at first we were surprised, but then we actually thought about the process of writing the book. Like people assume that because we're twins that, oh, we must have that like twin relationship. We must have like be able to read each other's minds or whatever, but that's not true. We were raised in a household with mental illness and addiction. And we were raised in a society that That denigrates connection, that views needing other people as a kind of weakness, that independence and autonomy are superior to connectedness and group action, which is not true. So, we did not grow up connected to each other. We did not grow up with sisterhood. It was literally when Mm. we started writing the book and reading the research that said the answer is love and connection. And then we were like, oh, (laughs) Oh, that's, (laughs) Hmm. it sounds so simple, but it actually is so hard because of how it's denigrated by outside society, but also because of our individual relationship where Mm. we came from of like, you never talk about the stories. You just don't talk about the things. And so we started telling the stories, like I was there that night when the bad thing happened and we didn't speak to each other that night, but I, I heard you when I was there and it was so Awkward and hard. And it felt so raw and vulnerable and exposed. And I'll be really doing this thing that was completely forbidden in childhood. And it it worked like that, that's how you do it. But like in Frozen, where Elsa is in her room with the door shut, with her leaning back against the door, like surrounded by frozen snow and ice. And Anna's on the other side knocking on the door saying, Do you want to build a snowman? And yes, Elsa wants to build a freaking snowman. Yes, she does. She really, really does. But she feels like she's not supposed to. She feels like she's not allowed. That it would endanger other people if she reached out and opened her door to love. And the bravery of Anna to knock and say, do you want to build a snowman? Like, that's what it takes. If you feel like you don't Mm. have anybody in your life, just, you're gonna discover that the other person was on the other side of that door all along, and they wanted it just as much as you, but they felt forbidden, and yeah. they needed the bravery of someone else to come say, "Want to want to build a snowman?
0: Doesn't have to be a snowman." And there's going to be someone. It might not be the first couple people that you knock on their proverbial door. There is going to be someone,
1: and there are a lot of people who are who really believe. That they're not allowed to open that door
0: mm-hmm. and
1: they might not be ready yet but yeah, all of us want to open the door all of us want someone in our lives who we can share all that stuff with and if you feel like no you don't i'm just going to tell you we emily and i have taken all the standardized tests i am the most introverted person anyone in our family knows I measure the highest on introversion and I'm autistic. So I find being around other people, extremely stressful and exhausting. I am the most, please leave me alone person there ever was. If there was ever anybody who didn't need connection, it's me, but even I, (laughs) it turns out benefit, need, connection and Mm -hmm. love. So if you're thinking, nah, I'm fine the way I am, you, you, You don't know what you're missing out on, because let's talk about the definition of wellness real quick, (laughs) what it actually means to be well. People think, I want to be well, and that they can reach some state of being that will be well, or a state of mind that is wellness. But wellness is not a state of being or a state of mind. Wellness is the freedom to oscillate through all the cycles of being human. Wellness is a state of action. And yes, you will sometimes oscillate into autonomy. But we also need the freedom to oscillate into connection. From autonomy to connection, from independence to dependence, from individual action to group cooperation. It is a necessity for human existence. We're 90% chimp, 10% bee, a hive species. We require other people to thrive. And that is both literally factually evident in the way that we need someone to be there to tell us we deserve love and care just the way we are that we deserve sleep and we deserve protection even before we get divorced or get married or have kids or graduate school or come out or like like before you do anything it doesn't matter what choices you have made so far you still are worthy of love and care because there are so many messages that tell us the opposite of that. We just need somebody physically to stand between us and that message. But we also biologically, psychologically need other people in our lives. We are not complete without other humans. I forget I where I was said, going with this. Well,
0: you said that all for me. Because I, I, if I were to take all those tests too, I, I'm like you and would be like the most introverted, you know, which it's a good reminder because I like to just pretend I can do it on my own. And, you know, yeah. so often we, you know, we do teach and we are taught and we do have to practice taking care of ourselves first because nobody else will. But at this, in the same breath, we have to do that by also reaching out to people. That's how we can care for ourselves is reaching out to connect with people who can give us that space, that bubble, that support. That's and making a lot of a things shortcut. come full circle for me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And as a shortcut, if you feel like I really... I feel too vulnerable asking for help. I feel selfish asking for help. The good news is that when you offer help to others, you might feel like, oh, I don't have time to, I don't wanna be a bother and ask somebody else, or I don't have time to give somebody else, or I don't have the energy to care for others who you know, aren't my immediate responsibility. The good news is that when we do do that, it actually gives us more energy. When we have someone in our lives and we allow them to open up to us with their difficult feelings, and we offer them kindness and compassion in response to their difficult feelings, that actually creates more energy. It is not a drain or a you know soul-stucking experience when we can share with each other our difficult feelings and turn toward them with kindness and compassion. It not only helps open that door, but it also gives us more energy and gives us the experience of connectedness, which recharges us and refuels us. I need about 22 hours of alone time every day, like really literally 22 hours of alone time. But that time that I do spend connecting with other people is absolutely mandatory. And even if I'm like, no, I'm stuck in my aloneness and I just want to stay here because it's easier. It does feel easier, But, uh, but being stuck in one thing is not what wellness is. It's not what humanity is meant to do. And I don't really discover that until I allow myself to oscillate into that state of connectedness and, and interaction.
0: That's beautiful. You just made it. So I can't cancel on my plans to go to Downton Abbey with friends tonight. So I will now move forward with those plans, even though I already planned on canceling them. So thank you for that. Amelia, I, I have enjoyed this so much. I'm, I'm going to make our do something. I always do a little do something challenge based on our, our discussion. And to me, it's, it's, it's connecting. It's reaching out to someone. It's that simple. That's where we're going to start today. It's reaching out to someone. I do want to point people towards the book burnout written with your, your sister and co-author Emily Nagoski. Um, it's the best book I've ever read on this topic. I, I've re- and on self-care in general. It's, it's brilliant. And is there any other place you would like them to go if they want to connect with you or your work?
1: Um, I also have started a YouTube channel last year, shortly after I was diagnosed with autism. um, I started a YouTube channel called Autistic Burnout about the fact that autistic burnout is a thing that people experience. And a lot of autistic people were saying, there are no resources to help autistic burnout. They're all directed towards neurotypical people, but we wrote burnout for me. And even if I didn't know at the time that I was autistic, a lot of the evidence in the book definitely works for autistic people because it it works for me. There are some things we say in the book that I was like, really? That works for people? Because it turns (laughs) out that that research was only true for neurotypical people, or at least not true for me and autism Mm -hmm. seems to be a reason. Mm -hmm. So autistic burnout is, it's a very small niche thing for the 2% of people who are autistic and experiencing burnout. So
0: well, that personally means a lot to me. So yes, we'll we'll make sure we link to that as well. Was there anything else you were going to say about where they should go?
1: Emily has also written a new edition of her first book, Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life. That book was 10 years old last year. So they've released a new edition with Updated Science. So I did not
0: know that. So thank you for pointing to that. This was, again, so wonderful. Thank you, Amelia. Thank you. I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants that you need to grow. I know it did for me. Now you heard me at the end of the episode um, when Amelia shared about how she is autistic. And I shared that that has a personal connection for me. And it does. I I have a daughter with autism and I so appreciated that she took a little extra time for me off the air to talk about what it's been like for her as an adult and what we can look forward to and expect. So thank you to Amelia. I'm now excited to share these progress pointers for you. This is where I share the notes that I took so you don't have to. And those of my go-getter newsletter, get this in a graphic form each week. You're really going to want these ones. And that newsletter is sent out each Wednesday. Number one, emotional exhaustion is the primary characteristic of burnout for women. Burnout is, quote, being overwhelmed and exhausted by everything you have to do, and yet somehow still worried that you're not doing enough, unquote. Two, true healing from burnout requires community love and support. Three, begin on your own by paying attention to the stress response cycle happening in your body. Then do your best to complete that cycle. Number four, some ways to do that include physical activity, sleep, and connecting to others. The magic combination is movement in time with others towards a shared goal. And number five. The cure for burnout is not self-care. The cure for burnout is all of us caring for each other. Work to build your own bubble of care, including the people who help you resist external, external pressures and encourage and support your care. I loved her focus on this so much. It changed a lot for me. And I think it will change a lot for you too. Your do something challenge for this week is to reach out to someone to build that own bubble of care that you're looking for. When you do that, let me know. Send me a DM, an email. I would love to hear about it. And I like to spotlight those who do the do something challenges in my go-getter episodes twice a month. Before we go, I have a special request of you. Could you please take a little bit of time to leave a rating and or a review? Now, the best one we need this on is Apple Podcasts. Spotify is also great. It's actually been over three months since we've had a review left on Apple Podcasts. Um, I have a goal to reach 1,500 reviews this year, and I think I'm like almost 400 (laughs) behind that goal. So I'd really appreciate your assistance there. Thank you so much for listening, my friends. Now go and do something with what you learned today. You are Red
1: Sox Nation at that moment. I'm in Massachusetts, so I have to say that. When yeah, you not here, you have to like, join Red Sox Nation too. <laughs> no, it's not true.
0: Seeking the truth never gets old.